I don't always preach from the book of Revelation, but when I do, I do it twice. So you're getting it again. You, 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 you guys are crazy. I go, Rabbi, what a great message last week. It's so funny. I pour my heart out every week. You throw in a little revelation, a little bit of revelation, a spice, little end time spice, a little prophecy about how make current events, and everybody's, well, for those who like that, you're getting it a second time. So um, just to recap, and it's, it really pertains to our Torah portion uh, this week, uh, <laughs> uh, and you'll, you'll see how uh, this part of Revelation does. If you guys can handle it in the back, is that working well, is, or is it, is it going like 18 times every time? Okay, I'll try it. What's that? Exactly. All right. So let's just give it a shot. So this is just a very, very quick recap of last week, just the, the conclusion of what I preached last week. If you don't know how I got to those conclusions, you're going to have to listen to it because I'm not going there again. But uh, in Revelation 12, I started there. It's, it speaks about the woman giving birth, and I conclude that that was the nation of Israel. We see she had a crown of 12 stars, and that's Israel. Uh, so the woman giving birth, to me, I believe, and I do believe it strongly, was actually when Israel was birthed in 1948. We then see the dragon coming after the woman, and a third of the stars fall from the heaven. With his tail, whoosh, he, he takes a third of the stars out. Well, Abraham was told that his descendants would be like the stars. And now we see a third of the stars being flung from heaven by the tail of the dragon. One third. Do you know how many, Jew, world, of, how many Jews of worldwide Judaism died during the Holocaust? One third. One third. It's a very common statistic, and we see here. I believe that Revelation 12 is a direct prophecy of the Holocaust and World War II and what happened and the birth of Israel. So then the woman is kept safe in the wilderness. You know, the dragon is coming after the woman, but it seems that the nations are protecting the woman. The woman is Israel, so the woman's back in the land. Israel's back in the land. And she's protected, and we see that. We see that. And then the dragon seems to get frustrated and, and, and kind of redirects his wrath away from Israel and towards the people of God. And, we, and, and it says that the ones who um, keep the commandments of the Lord and the testimony of Yeshua. So these are righteous believers, righteous Christians, righteous believers, uh, the ones that are passionate about the Lord and also passionate about his word. And the dragon goes against them, and we certainly see uh, in the world today, how, how, how the enemy is coming against the people of God, the, and the word of God especially. So that's Revelation 12. And then in the beginning of Revelation 13, we actually see the rise of, of the beast. And we didn't get into that. Um, so that's where we were last week. If you have any questions about it, don't ask. Just watch it, and then if you have questions, you can ask. So I'm going to do a little bit of a reverse engine. So last week was a Revelation 12 into Revelation 13. Now, if you reverse engines a little bit, before that, Revelation 8 to 11, right? So we were in Revelation 12, going into 13. Revelations 8 to 11 are the seven trumpets. So we should be pretty familiar with the seven trumpets that signify the tribulation time. That's Revelation 8 to 11. Revelation 11, you see, you're at the end of the sixth trumpet, and you see the, the uh, appearance of these two witnesses. Are we familiar with the two witnesses? You heard it before in Revelation 11. And then the second half of Revelation 11, you hit the seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet is actually the return of the Messiah. 
The kingdoms of this world belong to the kingdoms of our God. Everything you read about the seventh trumpet is about his return. Uh, so that's Revelation 11. You have the two witnesses in the first half, which obviously is still during that sixth trumpet. And then you hit the seventh trumpet. So I want to spend some time talking about the two witnesses. And you'll see how it very much relates to our Torah portion this week, Vayera, where that's the Spanish Hebrew, Vayera. And how it pertains to it and how it pertains to us also, because it's, it's important to talk about end times, but it's also important to talk about family time, personal time, health time, our time, quiet time with the Lord, right? So we could bring it down from end times and into now time. So Revelation 11, the witnesses. So we're going to go through a lot of scripture. So Revelation 11, 1 to 2. Then there was given to me a measuring rod like a staff. And first of all, let me just stop right there. Who's the me in this? Then it was given to me a measuring rod. So who's the me? The me is John, the, the, rep, the one who wrote, who got the revelation, right? So that's, that's John. Uh, and there was given to, given to me a measuring rod like a staff, and someone said, get up. And, me, and, some, and who's the someone? Well, he was in vision, right? He was up, he was receiving vision from heaven. So the voices that he heard in his vision was saying, get up. And measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Now, the temple of God. So, the temple of God could be one of three things. It could be the physical temple of God that we, that's in Jerusalem. It could be a heavenly temple that's with God up in heaven. Or maybe it means us, because we're the temple of God, like Paul said. Well, in this case, it happens to mean an earthly temple in Jerusalem. And we know that because it says in verse 2, Leave out the courtyard which is outside the temple and do not measure it, because it has been given to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Remember when Yeshua said that the Gentiles will trample Jerusalem until the time of Gentiles is fulfilled? Well, we see that now in Revelation. Right? And clearly, the trampling of the holy city for 42 months is not happening in heaven. Right? They won't be there if they're doing that. So this is clearly an earthly temple. So apparently, we can conclude from this that at least by the time of the sixth trumpet of Revelation, there's going to be a temple in Jerusalem. And what we see here is that Jerusalem is going to be ransacked. We see that. We see that Jerusalem is going to be overrun by Gentiles, by the nations. When I say Gentiles, I don't just mean non-Jews. I mean non-Jews that don't know the Lord and actually are evil. That's what I'm saying, okay? So by the nation. So they're, they're, over, they're overrunning Jerusalem. That's what it means by the holy city. They'll trample the holy city. It's the same words when Yeshua said Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentile, by nations. So for 42 months, we see that a lot in Revelation, three and a half years. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days. That's the same thing as 42 months, is three and a half years. So during that whole time, the two witnesses will be there clothed in sackcloth. So a couple of things right now. Very often when I see things about who these two witnesses are, I, I see people concluding that it's biblical characters that may not have died. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before, but some people say it's Elijah because he was taken up to heaven, or Enoch in the beginning because he was taken up to heaven, or something like that. I've even heard people say it's the disciple John because it says at the end of his, his gospel that you know people think that he didn't die. But I don't think it's any one of them, and I'm going to explain who I think the two witnesses are, and it pertains to all of us. So it says that they're clothed in sackcloth. That's number one. Now, sackcloth means that they were humble, it means that they were repentant, and it means that they were interceding. 
When you're clothed in sackcloth, that is, a, that is an act of humility. That's not an act of bold brazenness. That's an act of intercession. That's an act of repentance and mourning and saying, please, God, help. Right? So there's a humble attitude with these witnesses. They're powerful, but they're humble. You got that? They're powerful, but they're humble. And we see that. If we can let Jude in, Paul, if we can let Jude in. Oh, the door's open. Perfect. Um, and I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,026 days, the closing sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of all the earth. So they're called olive trees, and they're called lampstands. Now, I tell you, when, when Stephanie did her teaching on the new month, um, I, I, I did not know that she was going to equate Revelation to the book of Zechariah, but I'm going to do that as well. So I can see you're very excited about that, that uh, we see that that's happening twice. Oh, and just to take a step back, not that, not that anything that Stephanie shared needs any correction because she does an amazing job. I just want everybody to realize that when we talk about constellations, we're not saying that personalities are associated with, with the constellations that are in the sky. I just want everybody to recognize that. We want everybody to recognize that God does put the stars in the heavens. And it does say in Scripture that there are certain shapes that look like certain things, and those are called constellations. They have nothing to do with your personality. Nothing. Okay? But if God says he puts the stars in the heavens for signs and for seasons, you know, maybe we could see maybe perhaps what he's doing. Perhaps there's something, something to learn about that. But it's nothing to do with the astrology that, you're, that is, is evil. I want to make very clear about that. Um, so anyway, so getting back to this. So these witnesses are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the, whole, or before the, stand before the Lord of the earth. Not the first time we see that. So we're going to moonwalk backwards to uh, Zechariah 4. There's going to be a lot of reading here. So I apologize about that if, if that bores you to tears. Then the angel who had been speaking with me returned and woke up. This is Zechariah talking to an angel, like a person who's awakened from his sleep. So the angel who had been speaking with me returned and woke me. That doesn't mean that Zechariah is woke. Like a person who is awakened from his sleep. And he said, what do you see? And I said, see, I behold a lampstand. A lampstand. With all, with all of gold with its bowl on top of it. And its seven lamps on it with seven sprouts belonging to, spouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on the top of it. Also two olive trees by it. One on the right side of the bowl and the other on the left. So remember, we just read in Revelation that the two witnesses are called lampstands and olive trees. And here we see all the way back in the book of Zechariah, he has a vision, lampstand and olive trees. You got that? Then I said to the angel who was speaking with me, say, what are these, my Lord? So the angel who was speaking with me answered and said, do you not, what, you do not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, and we should know this scripture, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of armies. Now, we use that a lot. We say it a lot. We're encouraged by it a lot. We pray over it a lot. But it's actually a scripture pertaining to the two witnesses. Because Zechariah saw, apparently, the two witnesses. And this is where this verse comes out. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. So keep an eye on that. Let's just make a note of that. And we're going to skip ahead a little bit in Zechariah. Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right of the lampstand and on its left? 
And I responded a second time. What are the two olive branches? Olive what? Olive branches. Which are beside the two golden pipes, which empty the golden oil from themselves. And, and so he answered me and said, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones who are standing by the Lord of the whole earth. These are my two anointed ones. Zechariah saw the two witnesses of Revelation. How do we know this? No, where it says, these are my two anointed ones who are standing by the Lord of the whole earth. If we go back to the Revelation, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. It's the same wording. Do you see that? So Zechariah saw the witnesses, right? So who are the witnesses? Well, he also called them not just olive trees, but he called them olive branches, right? That's not the only time we see olive branches in Scripture. Let's let Scripture interpret Scripture. If we go to Romans 11, we see a whole dissertation of olive branches. And this is one scripture from it. If you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? We should all know this. This is like Messianic Judaism 101. You have natural olive branches for the Jewish people and wild olive branches, people from the nations who are grafted in to the olive tree. So we see here that Jews and Gentiles are, are equated with olive branches, natural olive branches, wild olive branches. Zechariah calls the witnesses olive branches. This is why I conclude that the two witnesses of Revelation that appear at that sixth trumpet is Jew and Gentile together. The fullness of it. The fullness of it. It may not be everyone, but it's the fullness of it. It's the fullness of Jew and Gentile together. This is what I believe, and I gave you the conclusion, the scriptural conclusion of why I surmise to that. Okay? So let's keep going um, in Revelation. And if anyone wants to harm them, the two witnesses, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. Now, I believe this is not, they're not fire-breathing dragons. Okay? They are, I believe this is words. This is what I believe. I believe this is, this is they will convict with so harshly with their words. I believe this is words. I don't believe it's literal fire. And so if anybody wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. In other words, he's going to convict them harshly with the words, almost to the point of death. These will have power to shut up the sky, the witnesses, so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. Who does that symbolize? What does that remind you of? What, Elijah! To shut up the sky so rain will not fall. Doesn't it say that before the coming of the Lord, Elijah's going to come? We saw that with Yeshua in his first coming. We're going to see it in the second coming. Do you know that the two witnesses are, are the fulfillment of that? Because they come in that same spirit and that same anointing and that same power to shut up the sky. And right after the sixth trumpet, we have the coming of the Lord. So it works out well. And they will have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they like. What does that sound like? Our Torah portion. Right? So Moses and Aaron are actually symbols, foreshadows of the two witnesses at the end. And how can we not see that the, 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 the tribulation and the plagues that Egypt went through is not a foreshadow of what the world's going to go through in the time of tribulation? We see it. 
And even then, we had two witnesses, Moses and Aaron. Are you with me? All right, fair enough. So if, if you're not, just watch it later. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. So just to take a step back, last week I spoke about Revelation 12 and Revelation 13. In Revelation 13, we see the, the rising up, uh, the revealing of the beast. But here, we also see the, the revealing of the beast is already there. This tells me that the entire book of Revelation is not entirely in sequence. Uh, it's not like from beginning to end that it's, uh, we just follow in consecutive linear order. Uh, the trumpets is sort of like the beginning of the end of the tribulation. Uh, and then in Revelation, in Revelation 12, it kind of goes back in time and says what's going to happen with the birth of Israel and eventually the uprising of the beast. So it's not a linear timeline, the book of Revelation. And we learn that from this because we see the beast coming up in two places. So the beast is already here with a sixth trumpet, right? Because... He's making war against the witnesses. This is during the sixth trumpet. So the beast is already here and overcomes them and actually and kills them. So this Jew and Gentile witness actually dies. Right? Many people say to me with concern, am I going to die during the, during the tribulation? Am I going to be martyred? This is why people that, that, that believe in pre-trib rapture love it so much. But these are believers. Why, if, the, if the believers are raptured, then why are they here? As, as, um, you know, as, as the witnesses. Now, I, I know there's, in, in those that believe in a pre-trib rapture, they, they have an answer for that. I think the believers, at, before the tribulation, get raptured, and then there are people that become believers, I, I think. Um, but anyway, this to me is a little more proof. That I'm not getting into the rapture today, but more proof that there's not a, a pre-trib rapture that happens. We're, we're there, right? And here's Jew and Gentile that's there uh, as witnesses. And we get killed. Um, if we're there, if the, the witnesses get killed. And their dead bodies lie on the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom in Egypt. Now, the great city is clearly Jerusalem. We know this because it says where their Lord was crucified. Now, the Lord was crucified right outside of Jerusalem. So we're still talking about Jerusalem. But remember, Jerusalem has been overrun now with people from the nations, evil people from the nations. And so spiritually, it's called Sodom and Egypt. Now, Sodom represents sexual immorality. And boy, do we see that rising up today like never before. And Egypt, I mean, Egypt could be many things. It could be, it could be uh, false gods. It could be false deities. It could be, it could be an Arab religion. It could be that. It could be slavery. Could, there's many things where maybe why it's called spiritually Sodom in Egypt. But this represents when Jerusalem is overrun, what's happening. And it sure is what's happening in the world right now. And then we see this thing. So the, so the witnesses have now died. They've been killed. They've been martyred. And from the people, tribes, and languages, and nations who look at their dead bodies, will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not allow their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. And those who live on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate. And they will send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who live on the earth. You know, I have to say that when we see Israel being attacked, we see, I'm sorry to say it, but I got to say it, we see the Muslim countries with rejoicing. When the Hamas attack happened, we see Muslim countries rejoicing. So, like, where does this happen? Like, where, how, why are people celebrating the death of these people? Well, we see it happening today, don't we? When these things happen, we see not only Muslim nations, but people that dislike and hate Israel. We see them rejoice over these things. It's despicable and it's evil. But here we see that same thing happening at the end. Maybe what we see today is, a, is like a startup of what's, what's going to come. 
And after three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them, and they stood at their feet. And great fear fell upon those who were watching them, and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up, come up here. And they went up into heaven in the cloud. Uh, their enemies watched them. So they're apparently res- their bodies are resurrected, and they're whisked away to heaven. Uh, two witnesses. At that time, there was a great earthquake. An earthquake. Yeshua said, the earthquakes are signs before his come, coming. And a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the, thir- uh, the third woe is coming. And immediately we get into the seventh trumpet. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world has become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. So now we see the coming of the Lord. So we see here also that the coming of the Lord is directly preceded by an earthquake in Jerusalem. But let's go back to our friend Zechariah. Zechariah 14, behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoils taken from you will be divided among you. This is him telling Israel that everything taken from you, it's coming back. Land and everything. For I will gather all the nations, listen, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city will be taken. This is what we just saw in Revelation. We're, seeing, we're going to see Jerusalem be taken during the sixth trumpet. And I'll gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. The city will be taken. The houses plundered, the women raped, and half of the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be eliminated from the city. You notice that the tactics of the war here has nothing to do with bombs and things like that. It's rape and pillaging and, and taking them into exile, like kidnapping, right? It's like, almost like the, the tactics we see with Hamas we see here in this end times battle. I find that very interesting and worthwhile noting. Listen, then, it's, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. I said this last week, I'll say it again. There's only one right side of this, of this battle. There's only one right side. The Lord is on the side of Israel in this. There's no other way. The Lord will fight against the nations that come against Jerusalem. It says that. You don't want to be on the wrong side of this battle. There's no compromise here. There's no other side. You don't want to be on the other side of this when the Lord comes to fight the nations as when he fights on a day of battle. You don't want to be against that. No way, Jose. On that day... His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, and which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split. There's the earthquake in the middle, in its middle from east to west, forming a very large valley. Half of the mountain will move towards the north, the other half towards the south. And you will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah, then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. So we see in the book of Revelation, we see an earthquake directly preceding the coming of the Lord. And in Zechariah, we see an earthquake directly preceding the coming of the Lord, which directly comes after the nations coming against Jerusalem. So just to conclude about these two witnesses, just in bullet points, they appear during the sixth trumpet. They prophesy in sackcloth, which means that they have a humble attitude. As powerful as they are, they're humble. And they intercede, and they repent, and they mourn for what's happened. This is important to know. It's easy to say, Lord, strike down your enemies when there's hatred in our hearts and anger and rage, and we even define it as holy rage. But they had 
sackcloth on. They repented. They didn't want to see it. They're anointed. Lampstands, olive trees, it all pertains to anointing, anointing oil. I believe, I put the asterisks here, that they're Jew and Gentile because that is my summation, right? I just want to make every, let everybody know this is how I define, this is how I conclude. It's not explicitly biblical that it's Jew and Gentile. This is how I derive it. So I want to put those asterisks there. They devour their enemies with their words. They have power over nature. And as we see parallels with Elijah and Moses and Aaron. And uh, I don't remember what I put. Oh, and the one that we can't see says that they are martyred. They're killed. And let me just go back to the scripture because the Bible is better than bullet points. If the witnesses that rise up, that appear in the sixth trumpet, like how many folks, I mean, we don't know. Well, we don't fully, fully know. But I do believe that we're close to these things happening. I believe it. It might be another 100 years. Might be another 200 years. It might be a year, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I do believe that we're close. I believe we're close. And if the witnesses is Jew and Gentile, at least ones that are found worthy to be in this incredible space, you know, it's possible that some of us could be there. It's possible. You see here, the two witnesses, I would grant authority to my two witnesses. If they are Jew and Gentile, if we're found worthy, it could be people sitting right here today if this is within the next few years. And that's humbling, isn't it? And I don't know if anybody here feels worthy to be in that position or even have the ability to be that prophetic and to stare down the beast with words and call fire from heaven, do all, do all these amazing signs. I don't know if anybody feels worthy. But this is where it goes back to our Torah portion. Because if Moses and Aaron are portents, foreshadows of those two witnesses that eventually come in the end, did Moses feel worthy? Did he have the ability to, to do these things? He was scared, he was timid, he was insecure, yet he was the one that call, was called. And throughout the plagues, we see God craft Moses the deliverer, Moses the man of God, Moses the powerful man of God, Moses the humble man of God. We see an amazing transformation between Moses, the, the, the ones whose knees are buckling, the ones that said, the Moses who said that his, 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 his mouth is heavy, to Moses who did great and powerful things. Tribulation was his training ground. See, this is something we need to recognize in our house. This is how we bring it down from the end times into family time, into work time, into tribulation is the training ground. And God is so faithful to Moses. You know, when Moses said, I can't do this. I'm, I'm heavy of tongue. I can't, I'm not a good speaker. You, got, found the wrong, you, got, the wrong, you found, got the wrong guy. You know, God gave him a little bit of rebuke. You know, like, who made the mouth? I did. Who was the one who lets people speak? Who's the one that makes people mute? It's me. So he gave him a little bit of rebuke. But you know what else he did, which I find so beautiful? He gave him Aaron. He gave him an ability to say, you know what? 
if this is how you feel, I'll work with that for now. Isn't that amazing? He could have just, you know, done, did what he did, let's say, with Isaiah. He could have just took some coal and put it on his lips, and that was it. But he, he met him at his place of insecurity. He met him right there. He met him at his place of insecurity. He said, I'm going to give you Aaron. If you, feel, if you feel a little insecure about your talking, you don't have to do the talking. I'll give you your brother. He's a good speaker. So he'll do these things. And we started to go through this at our, our Havara meeting on every other Tuesday night in the book of Hebrews. And we started to go through a little bit of detail about this. So if you look at plague number one, this gets me going. If you look at plague number one, it says, The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the water. So who's the one who did the work here on plague one? Aaron. Now, in our minds, we might think Moses did this all the time, right? Because Moses is the hero, the main hero of the Exodus story. Plague number one, it was actually Aaron. Because Moses was like, humna, 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 humna. Right? So Aaron is the one who did the speaking. Aaron is the one who raised the staff, right? Plague number two, frogs. The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron. Stretch out your hand with, his, with your staff over the rivers. Plague number three, the gnats. The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth. And here's Moses watching this and watching God move. And all of a sudden, as we progress through the plagues, we get to plague six. And all of a sudden it says, and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses, throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. In other words, it's time to stop watching it, Moses. And it's time now that your confidence has been built from this tribulation, from seeing how God is with you, from seeing how God is with Aaron. It's time for you, Moses, to come in and start doing some stuff. There's a great, there's a great uh, tactics and, and a, a way, a process when it comes to discipleship and mentoring. And we even see it with Yeshua so many times. It's called leading from the front, leading from the side, and leading from behind. Leading from the front means that the person who you're discipling or you're mentoring is watching you do it. And they're learning from watching. But then the teacher kind of steps back and goes side by side with the student. So they do it together. And then eventually, the teacher can step back and let the student do some things. This is what we see. Moses had to step back, and Aaron was doing all the things. And Moses was like, huh, maybe God is with us. Maybe he is greater than my physical abilities. Maybe it is not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So now all of a sudden we see in Plague 6, tell Moses to take that soot and throw it in the air. Time to, time to stop watching, Moses. Time to do some action here. And then by the time we get to plague seven, we got Moses. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven. Then Moses stretched out his staff towards heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth. Tribulation is our training ground sometimes. And the things that we even go through in life, to bring it out from the end times into the our Family time. The tribulations that we go through is training ground. And God is faithful to meet us at our place where we feel unworthy. 
and say, I'll work with this. I'll work with this. You know why he was able to work with Moses at that time? Because Moses didn't say no. He said, I'll do it. But I'm not the guy. I don't think you're the guy. But he named me, which means here I am in Hebrew. I'll do it. And if you say to God, I'll do it. I think I, I don't think I'm the right guy. I don't think I have the qualifications. But I'm here. He named me. Here I am. God will work with that. I said, Baruch Hashem, I will work with that. And I will give you the ability to learn and to be trained through the process. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. See, it's all about the Lord. It's all about his spirit. You know, if we go to ah, Acts 1, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, this wasn't just a charge just to the, to the apostles of the time. This is a charge all throughout time right into the witnesses of the book of Revelation. You will be my witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. It's not by might, not by power. We know we can add on to that. It's not by talent. It's not by wealth. Not by resources, not by charisma, not by who you know, not by knowledge, not by ability, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It says in the Psalms that he knows our frame and he remembers that we are but dust. I love that. He's like, I can work with that. If you're ready to go to work, I'm ready to work with you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And the one other thing that we learn from Moses is his humility. And let me close with this. We see the witnesses at the end wearing sackcloth. Right. You know, Moses, he didn't have the, he had it, but he didn't know he had it. He wasn't the one to affect the original plagues. Right? We see that. We see Aaron. He was the, Aaron was the one who affected those miracles. He's the one who raised his hand, raised his staff, right? We see that. Knowing that, do you know what the first miracles that Moses actually did? Do you know what the first ones he actually did? It wasn't the plague where he finally said, okay, I got this. You know the first miracle he did? It wasn't the bringing on of the plagues. It was the calling back of the plagues. It was when Pharaoh said, pray for me. See, he didn't have the ability to bring on the plagues yet, but he had the ability to go before God and say, take it away. That's the humility that God will want from his witnesses. It says in the Proverbs, the Proverbs that we don't rejoice in the falling of our foes. First miracles that Moses did was not to bring plagues. It was to pull them back and say, God, have mercy. I think there's something for us there to learn as well. Thank you, Father. Praise God. Baruch Hashem. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Yeah, Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem.